sir. So the first thing I would tell my 25-year-old self is on October 24, 2018, there's going to be this $1.6 billion jackpot. <laughs> and the numbers are... <laughs> All right. The next thing would be, whatever you could do, don't speak after Mandy. Dang. So when I was given this opportunity to share, I, I said, Lord, let's make this the most awe-inspiring, impactful 15 minutes of their lives. And now I'm just hoping I can get at least a couple people to nod and say, yeah, maybe. <laughs> So I think Leaders That Last has a lot to do with looking back at our lives and our ministries um, and the lives and ministries of others. So what I want to do is spend the first few minutes um, looking back so you know who it is that I'm talking to when I talk about the 25-year-old me. It was 14 years ago today, October 24, 2004, that I met Jesus. Um, amen. Friday, October 22nd, 2004, I was at a preseason Laker game, not the LeBron era, the Kobe era, and I wasn't saved. I was going crazy. A couple days before, I thought about committing suicide. I was losing it. I, I, uh, those tickets aren't cheap even for preseason, but I walked out. I went into the parking lot of Staples Center, and I said, God, if you're real, you got to be real for me, and if you are, I'll serve you. I'll never turn back. I promise. And uh, lightning didn't flash, nothing really happened that night, but on Sunday, October uh, 24th, 2004, uh, same day as today, uh, he just met me at an altar, I broke, I cried, I realized that he was real, I felt these burdens and sin uh, lifted off of me. Um, just a, an amazing moment, an amazing day. One year, eight months later, I married my wife, Mary, who was up here a little while ago, uh, for the six months prior to that, she said, I'll hang out with you and you can quote unquote date me, but you got to go to church. So I went to church every week. <laughs> I didn't meet Jesus and nothing was really, really working and it wasn't working out how, how I had planned, but uh, she led me to the Lord, obviously. I wouldn't have been there and been in that position if it wasn't for her. 11 months after that, in April of 2007, we started a home Bible study uh, for only unchurched and unsaved people. We didn't want anybody that already knew about God. We wanted to find all of our friends that didn't know God, and we brought them over every week, and we did home, uh, home Bible study. Eight months later, we had our first child, January 8th of 2008. Um, and then three months later, we planted a church in April of 2008. So we had three and a half years of salvation, two years of marriage, and three months of parenting. So I realized that I knew everything <laughs> about life and church. Let's just plant a church. <laughs> and uh, ten and a half years later, this is the scripture that comes to mind, 1 Corinthians 8.22. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. So I've learned a lot, but these are the most current um, and significant things regarding leaders that last and things that I wish I knew then when we were starting out. The first I'm calling a reciprocal warmth. One of the things that I would tell myself when we were, we were starting off would be self, beware of the cold. Beware of the cold.
when you plant a church after three and a half years of being saved, you don't even understand how somebody could get cold with God or get cold with people. You're just fired up, and God is so real, and he's doing so much on a daily basis. The thought of growing cold, it never even entered into my mind, to be honest with you. After uh, 10 years of pastoring here in this city, I've learned a lot about growing cold. And those of you that have been doing this, leading in some capacity for 20 years and 30 years, I'm sure you know a lot more about the cold than, than I do. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 4.8 says, There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Early on when I first got saved, my pastor's fire and warmth was enough for me. Like, he was just, just, if you were close to him, you were inspired and you could feel the love of God. And then when we planted our church, I feel like that's how I was. I was just always on fire and always hot. I remember one time early on, uh, Alan told me, it doesn't need to be a white knuckle ride. And I was like, I don't even know what white knuckle means, man. But I figured it out. You know, I got a commentary, and I was like, what's he talking about? <laughs> and he was saying, like, you got to slow down, like he was telling me right now. <laughs> but I was just constantly fired up. And then there was a season that came where my wife and I, we had to figure out how to manage my oil and her oil and my fire and her fire. And be like, all right, if you're, you know, getting cold, let me be fired up. And then when, when I'm getting cold, she'll be fired up. And we did that for a while as we were, we were leading the church. And then about four or five years into our ministry, our pastors ended up shutting down their church and then coming into to church with us. And when they came around, I couldn't figure out why they were so cold to the talking about church and talking about people. And I'm like, man, that's not the people that we left when we got planted out. What happened? So after a little while, we had a huge falling out about how we should lead the church and what we should be doing. And there was a big church split um, and after that, I found myself getting a little bit bitter and a little bit cold with people. And I realized then that I should have been more focused on keeping my pastor warm. He was growing cold, but I wasn't there and I wasn't paying attention and it wasn't on my mind and I didn't understand. We were both really young and we couldn't see what was happening to us. We couldn't see what was happening around us. Um, so I really think that it's the community of leaders' responsibility to keep each other warm. It's not really the congregation and the rest of the folks in our churches. This community, this group of leaders, we have a responsibility to keep each other warm and to keep each other from growing cold. I would definitely be telling myself that when you start off to, to understand that and not to overlook it. All the other things that we do, we can, we can survive falling short in, but if we grow cold, we won't survive. So I want to share a note that I wrote to myself last month in my, in my phone. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So I wrote, an elder encouraged me to reach out and love to someone I've been struggling with in the church. Later Sunday night, I did. I had to write that I did it because sometimes I don't listen. So I put, later Sunday night, I did. On Monday afternoon, I prayed to be able to teach men that they would, be, that they would have passion to teach others and a desire to pastor. I felt God say 
that what I've taught this particular elder is not only doing that, but God is currently using him to teach me things and to remind me of things and to help prevent me from growing cold or calloused. How wonderful. And then I wrote, I wish I would have done so successfully for my pastor. I suspect I should give greater attention to this providence of God and the blessing of friendship. So don't grow cold, I would tell myself, and I would encourage all of you guys here to help your leaders not to grow cold and to, to know that that's our responsibility to one another. Second thing that I would say to myself is self, learn how to focus on Jesus more than people and more than the church. So we always say that God is first, but I mean like make him first seriously. <laughs> I do safety and everybody says safety's first. It's not. So my wife called me on Monday and she said, I woke up early this morning and I read and I prayed. It makes all the difference when we put God first. And it was so profound. It was so simple, but it's so true. I remember when I when that Sunday, October 24, 2004, I fell in love with Jesus. But if I'm honest with myself, I think early on I gave myself to the church and to people. When you go out to lead and you go out to minister, you know, you love God, but you're really giving yourself to a church and giving yourself to people. And I would tell myself at 25, don't do that. Be careful. I'm learning how hard it is to really focus on Jesus more than people. It's not as easy as you would think. When we lift up people, we lift up the church, we lift up ourselves rather than Jesus, everything gets out of alignment. And it happens so quick but before we even know it. <clears throat> the church is not a reflection of us. It's not a reflection of our leadership. It's not a reflection of our faithfulness, um, even though that's often how we feel, like it's a, it's a reflection of us. It's not. That's just what we do when, we, when we're focused on those things instead of on the Lord like we should be. When I look back, I, I think that I thought that if I did all of my part, that the church would be everything that was missing in the world. We're going to love people. We're going to forgive. We're going to reconcile. We are going to lead, and we're going to follow. And if any of those things aren't happening, we're just going to focus more and make it happen. What I've realized is that the church is not going to be all that is missing in the world. And at best, we're going to get glimpses of it. My 25-year-old self thought that I would have the perfect family and the perfect church and every relationship would be restored and everything would be fixed. And I don't think that that's really what, what God intends. We get glimpses of that. So when we say that we've given ourselves to the people, maybe we don't say that out loud, but you know you, know you say it in your heart. When people act crazy in the church, you say, man, I've given my life to you. When people are disrespectful, like, with the church, you're like, man, I give my life to this church. <laughs> we might not verbalize it, but we think it and we feel it. Stop yourself. Tell, your, tell yourself, like I would tell my 25-year-old self, man, you gave your life to Jesus. You didn't give your life to the church. You didn't give your life to these people. You gave your life to Jesus. <clears throat> so in my last few minutes, I want to I share this scripture. It's, it's uh, David speaking here. Psalm 139, he's a, he's a king, he's a soldier, he's a worshiper, he's all these things, but I just love how he talks about his relationship with God. You've hedged me behind and before, laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I feel like his intimacy with God, like that's not about church. And that's not about like people. It's just how much he loves God and how much God loves him. And as leaders, I think that we can find ourselves really far from that kind of talk. So I tell my 25-year-old self, uh, Focus on, on being intimate with God. So last thing I know, I'm, I'm watching the clock here. Last thing I'd say to myself is self-talking to God, thinking about God, and evaluating the fruitfulness of decisions and initiatives is not prayer. <laughs> I'll say it again. Talking to God, thinking about God, and evaluating the fruitfulness of decisions and initiatives is not prayer. Like, that's what most of us do as leaders, and we think we're praying. It's amazing how busy we can get in the kingdom without actually praying. In our defense, I didn't recognize that I wasn't praying until I actually started praying. So as a Southern Californian, I've got a wife, three children. Alan mentioned it, a full-time job, full-time pastor. I'm not really sure on this one how it's going to ultimately work out, but what I do know is that deconstructing is much more difficult than building properly. If I was 25 and could have started a more robust and fruitful prayer life to go into ministry, it'd be a lot easier than trying to figure out how to stop doing certain things to make sure that we're praying the way that we should be. Prayer should be the ministry that everyone flocks to, but instead, in most churches, it's worship, right? It's like we're saying, Lord, watch me and listen to me instead of, Lord, I want to see you and hear you. So not just prayer for the sake of ministering well and leading well. I just think that more leaders will last if our personal prayer lives are a little bit more fruitful. So this is the last scripture. I'm going to make it. No, I'm not. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to tell you. So Simeon and Anna, when, when Jesus is born, uh, Simeon hears from God, and God tells him, you're not going to die until you see the Savior born. And then he sees him, and he picks up the child. It says that he's led by the Spirit into the temple. He sees the child. He picks up the child, and he starts praying. So when I think about our prayer lives, and I think about the ministry, you know, when we're praying, God gives us visions of things that are ahead that help us endure in, the, in the, the now. So I'm sure Simeon, like the rest of us, was going through some things, but he said, listen, I, God's already told me what's going to happen so I can endure. And then he saw it, and the first thing he was led to do was to lift him up and pray. He didn't even care about mom and dad. He lifted up the child, and he started praying more. Like that was his go-to. And then with Anna, it says that she had already lived a full life. She was a widow, and 
It says at the end, she decided just to fast and to pray. That's all she cared about. And it says that she walked in in the very instant that Jesus was there. That fasting and that prayer led her to where she needed to be in the church. Whereas I think what happens to us is our ministries direct our prayer life instead of our prayer life directing our ministries. So those are the things that I would say to myself. Don't grow cold. Don't let the other leaders who are around you grow cold. Really, really learn how to pray. And uh, that's it. <laughs> I saw the clock. I'm over.